Welcome, listeners, to another installation of the show exploring culture, identity, and the stories that make us all tick. This week, we're headed back to Paris, France, to talk with another fascinating example of cultural identity in this amazing city with my friend Daniel Cox. Daniel's story, I believe, is a once in a lifetime story of cultural intersection and ambiguity, and I'm pleased that he agreed to be on today's episode. To give you a little backstory, Daniel's family is Australian and moved to France for an opportunity that his mom received to be a real deal fashion designer for one of the country's iconic brands, Cotelac. As the name might imply to people who speak French, this brought the family to a tiny French village by a lake, which meant that Daniel and his sisters grew up in a very unique space. At home, they would speak English and maintain a semblance of Australian culture, but everywhere else out in the world, they had to become French, in school, in society, and in their identities. The impact of this was fascinating, and Daniel's realization when he went to university in Sydney that maybe he didn't have a distinct cultural identity opened his eyes to this fact that he had much more to offer. Straddling his family's culture with the French world came with its own results, which I'll let him get into in today's episode. Before we dive in... Anticulture is brought to you by ATB. It's easy to save on your dreams with ATB Prosper. Set your goal, invest $100, and watch it grow. It's that simple, and it's all online. Get started in minutes at atbprosper.com. Anticulture, as you know, is also a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Catch up on shows like this one and Perspectives YYC, exploring the unique angles of the art scene in Calgary with host David Ewan. Find it and others like it at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And now let's get into the show. So I'm here with my friend Daniel, Daniel Cox. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a very tiny apartment unit (laughs) in a somewhat sketchy area of Paris, but not really the sketchiest. Not the sketchiest. Not the sketchiest. Okay. So we're safe. Yeah. Apart from the like crew that looked at us downstairs. Yeah. That was a little (laughs) sketchy. (laughs) Yeah, so we're here. We're in France. We're in my Airbnb in Paris, which I found out was not what I thought it would be, but Daniel's trying to tell me that it's actually okay. It's fine. (laughs) And I need to relax because I'm in Paris. He's not sharing a bathroom with the whole floor. That's true. That is a pro, but the toilet is just in the middle of the room. (laughs) But anyway, Daniel, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction? Tell us about who you are and what you do. My name is Daniel Mike Cox. I like adding the mica just because there's a lot of other Daniel Coxes. So I either go down as Daniel M. Cox or Daniel Micah Cox. Nice. Just because I want to be unique. Yeah. I want people to know who I am personally, and I don't want to be referred to as another Daniel Cox in history. There are a lot of Daniel Coxes. There are even more Coxes in the world. I found out at a very young age that... My name is not unique, even though it's unique in France. Hmm. <laughs> We're a lot in the world. There are famous Daniel Coxes, such as, like, there's a tennis man. He's blonde, like me. <laughs> People go onto Google and search Daniel Cox, and they'll think I'm a tennis man. Right. Who've won competitions. and But no, I'm not. I haven't won any <laughs> awards yet. What do I do? I, I wouldn't know how to define what I do specifically. 
I'm an art director um, in during my day. Like that's my day job. Mm-hmm. I do concepts for clients who have problems and who need solutions or who just want to look good. Mm-hmm. It's very basic. Yeah, I'm an art director in my in my day job. Like, right. there's nothing too complex about it. Like, I'm lucky enough to work for amazing companies, but that's not really what defines me. I like to consider myself a creative in general. Mm-hmm. When my university teachers asked me not not so long ago what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be in the future, I would just say that I would want I wanted to be a creative content creator. I thought that that globally said what I had in mind of what I wanted to do. Mm. I never really grew up as a creative. Like I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Like I wanted to look into people's brains, look into people's eyes and like see the most beautiful parts of the human bodies in the most weird way possible. Yeah. But when I decided that I wanted to take a creative route in my life and when I decided that I wanted to be interested like when I when I started being interested in movies or in, in photography I wanted to stay global because it wasn't creating like logos or graphic identities for companies or just taking photos or just filming videos that's not what interested me I wanted to create as a global way of expressing myself I signed up to Instagram very late maybe two years after it actually started and then everyone was using it but as soon as I discovered that there were so many different kinds of creativity in the world, it like blew my mind and I was getting inspired just like every day, just looking online, learning about these artists, learning about these people that create without any means and just create for fun. So I started taking photos with my phone. Like that sounds so, so simple these days because like everyone is taking photos with like their phone. But at the time you couldn't call yourself a photographer if you were taking photos with your phone. And it just started like to, mm. to shift and there was starting to be a point where it got to a point where you could start taking photos with your phone and you could express yourself just with your phone. And I wouldn't say I started a following, but people were interested in what I did, even though it was the most basic things and you will never be able to find anything that I did in that time online <laughs> or anywhere else because I've deleted everything. <laughs> but it caught the eye of some people Mm -hmm. and I was encouraged in a way where I was pushed to do more. And if it wasn't for Instagram, you wouldn't really necessarily have that entry point. (laughs) Never. Like, like I hate saying that and don't be fooled. Like I did live that Instagram period where everything in my life and everyone I knew and everyone I was talking to came from Instagram. Like that's how I met you. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like we talked on, on Instagram. Yeah. I'm not into that lifestyle anymore and I've completely gone the opposite way where I used to share everything about my personal life online and I used to share all my work and I used to share how I did my work and I used to share everything, like every part of my life online and it just got to a point where like I knew that I didn't have to anymore. But back to like creating, like Instagram was a huge part of just inspiring me in the way that I needed and I don't know, I felt like with the community that I was able to build and with the friendships I was able to create, I discovered a world that no one had told me about in school. Like no one tells you that like there's, there's these crazy people creating the most amazing piece of art in their bedroom or in their garage. So moving back to France, yeah, I, I already had, had all these tools. I had these tools. I had yeah. the basis of like what I would create my career out of. And so I started freelancing. And what did you go to school for in Australia? Was that photography strictly or? No, different? I did arts and communication. Okay. I was general, like 
you could become anything you wanted after that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't finish. Right. <laughs> that key point. Yeah. I didn't finish in the more traditional sense. I, yeah. When I decided to come back to Australia, I still got a degree online just because in France it's important to have a degree if you want to have a proper contracted job. Mm-hmm. So my parents felt like it was still important for me to have a, a degree. Yeah, I got my degree doing nothing pretty much. Like I'd work on my assignments two hours a week and <laughs> I still got good grades, thanks to God. Like, So maybe just taking a step back because I, I think it's interesting probably for the listeners to hear that your Australian accent, number one. Yeah. And then also, obviously, we know that you went to school in Australia, but you are talking about how you went back to France and now you live in Paris. So So my parents decided to move to France when I was very young. Not very young. From Australia. From Australia, from Sydney, Australia. My parents decided to move to France because my mum wanted to become a fashion designer. Wow. They were young. I have young parents. I'm lucky enough to have young parents who were courageous courageous enough to move a whole family with three young children across continents and, and go to a country where no one spoke their language and where we didn't speak their language. And so that defines who I am right now. Like, yeah. I cannot say that me moving to France when I was young didn't have an impact on who <laughs> I am. Like, And how old were you when you did move to France? I've got no idea. It was in okay. 2003, I think, or something wow. like that. I don't know. And it's crazy because even, well, the other day I was walking back to my apartment and I walked by one of your mom's storefronts. Yeah. And I was like, that's Daniel's mom's <laughs> company. Not, not my mom's <laughs> company. She is the right. fashion designer like the for design. yeah. that company. But right. Yeah. Yeah. So she... It's still pretty exciting. It's exciting because, well... She didn't finish school either. Okay. And she was offered a job during the middle of her school. We were only meant to spend three years in France before moving back to Australia. She just wanted to have a degree and then we'd all move back to Australia. Her favourite brand offered her a job when she had only done two years. Wow. So she never completed the third year of her school, but she was offered the job in her favourite brand, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. She's Australian. She barely speaks French. Like, her accent is horrible. (laughs) You have to put into consideration that the French accent is pretty hard to achieve. Mm -hmm. And after two years, you most definitely don't have it, even if you're speaking French all the time. It's very hard to lose the the Aussie accent. Like, the Aussie accent is very strong strong to begin with. And so to lose the accent is pretty hard. So she got a job with her favourite company, um, me and my sisters were legally forced to do French schooling, and I don't know. It, it just kind of it kind of went from there. Like we were a normal family. We might have been Australian in France, but so we spoke English at home, and we spoke French in the real world. I guess. Yeah. Like, and did you like that, or did you feel like you didn't like speaking French, or did you have any emotions towards that? So I remember crying the first day of school. Really, <laughs> I remember bawling my eyes out because I had like. You have to imagine you're a kid, you're going to school for the first time in your life because I was homeschooled. Yeah. So you're going to a normal school for the first time in your life and you do not speak the language that your teachers or that your fellow students speak. (laughs) I knew not one single word of French before going into that school. So it was an emotional day. It was never weird. Like, 
we were young and we were living what we were living. Like, yeah. we didn't have a choice. That makes sense. It's not like you resented your parents for bringing you Exactly. Like, yeah. I resented them afterwards because like, <laughs> yeah. I was a teenager and I had to hate them for something. Right. Like and we kind of just learned the language. Like, yeah. my sisters speak French better than most French people speak. They scored the highest final exam uh, of the whole school, both of them, like, separately, like, wow. different years. When you have to speak a language you learn fast. And when you're a kid, you're lucky enough to have that learning process where mm -hmm. you're learning everything about around you. And so you're learning a language at the same time you're learning your mother tongue. And so my parents never lacked in teaching us English, even though we we're learning French at the same time. Right. You don't think about it. Like yeah. when you're in the country, you don't think about it. Your friends are French. Your parents' friends are French. Everyone is speaking French around you. Like, your day-to-day -day life is French in a French world, in a French culture. Yeah. We spoke and English at home. Yeah. That was that only, like, point of contact with our roots, I guess. Like, mm -hmm. And do you think that's partly why you wanted to go back to Australia to do school? Like, did you, did you want to have contact with that original roots, I guess? Not me. Okay. Like, my youngest sister went back to, to study in Australia for those reasons. She wanted to feel closer because she had never grown up in Australia. So for her, she wanted to experience what it was to be Australian. Me, I just wanted to leave France. Okay. Like, I was a teenager. I wanted to explore. Yeah. I wanted to, to And not... this was the only place you kind of knew at the time. You, you want to know the real reason why I went back to Australia? Yeah. My education was free. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So you were an Australian citizen. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, the, like, that's a great that's reason. That's the like, main reason why... I went back to Australia is because I could get into a good school and I didn't have yeah. to pay the same amount as what I would have paid in a private <laughs> film school in France. Like, Yeah. Wow. I didn't know schooling was free there. That's it's amazing. Not, it's not free. Oh. It's deduced from <laughs> it's deduced from your tax if you earn oh. above a certain amount of money. I never worked in Australia, so I will never pay unless I move back to Australia. So right now, are you currently, are you a French citizen or not yet? No. Okay. And what's the reason for that? Honestly, like rebellion. <laughs> okay. So you like, you could, but you don't want to. We could have, like my parents could have set up the documentation when I turned 19, because mm -hmm. that's when I stopped being under my mother's visa. Okay. Me personally, not my sisters. I like, I, I speak about my sisters a lot because we, we lived through the same experience. Like we grew closer together just because we spoke English, we spoke French and we were living in a bubble in France like you're the only one who who speaks how you speak you're the only one who has the cultural references that you have from your family like me and my sisters grew up with different experiences than other French people because we didn't have the same culture as them at home we would watch British like my dad for Christmas would like buy the family the complete sets of like old British series like Yes Minister and like all the Mr. Beans and all that stuff. So we grew up with like an English humor compared to the French humor, which is very vulgar. Yeah. And we had those two points of view of the world because we had our friends at school and so we would learn the French way of doing things when you're young and would come home and we wouldn't be able to say the things we wanted to say or, or, or do the things we wanted to do just because culturally it was different. Like in France, underage drinking is not seen as badly as elsewhere in the world. Yeah. 
it was normal for, for me and my friends to like to drink a beer at the age of 16. Yeah, of course, it was illegal for the barman to sell us the alcohol and all that stuff, but it wasn't considered taboo to, to drink yeah. or... And, like, everyone smokes in France. It's a weird way to grow up. I grew up in, in a Christian family, so our beliefs and how I grew up and how I was raised was very contradictory to how French kids grew up. Mm. I don't know if I'm a- even able to say that it's contradictory because I never grew up in a in Australian or in another culture, so I don't know if it's normal right. in other cultures that it's that all oh, young kids drink, young kids smoke, the amount of profanity that is is said in school or even from the teachers. Like, I wouldn't be able to say that it's cultural because I didn't grow up in Australia, so I wouldn't know if it's normal in Australia or not. You just know that. But there's... I know it, it was it was it was not the culture of my yeah. family or the wider wider family that I grew up with when my grandparents would visit all, and all that. Right. I know I knew was opposite that. And did that make you uncomfortable growing up or did you feel like you kind of had to straddle both cultures? Like would you be able to talk to your parents about how there was kids drinking underage or did you feel like Oh, not at all. No, yeah, no, not at all. My mum found out that I was drinking <laughs> like 5 years after I had started drinking like <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic when I say that, <laughs> but my mum found out that that's where my pocket money would be going. Right, or, like, right. Things like, and that must have been like hard for your parents because they didn't grow up here, so they have a completely different understanding of how they expect the world to be, and they won't be able to relate to you almost in your experience of childhood. Exactly, and even even just simple things, especially like when we were young kids, French people will have a snack around like four o'clock called a goûter. Okay. And that's like very traditional, especially where I grew up. I mean France, like I grew up in a very small traditional village in the in like in the high mountains of not the Alps, but close to the Alps. So it was normal for, for a kid to take out a piece of bread and take out a whole like chocolate bar and eat it like in front of you. And for me, for my parents, that was a shock because in France, when I grew up, I know it's not the case anymore, but when I grew up chocolate was considered healthy, like a healthy snack for a kid. I remember like people coming over from Australia and of course you've got your like your, your Cocoa Pops and all that stuff which are like which are chocolate based but then it would ha- would have like muesli where there would be like literal chunks of chocolate right. in it and that'd be considered normal and for my parents that was not normal. For me it was normal. Yeah. But for my parents that was not normal. It was so not normal weird. for for kids to be eating like that much chocolate and for them to have to say like well no to us or or to have to find a compromise yeah. for us to be okay with that I, I guess that was it was more challenging for my parents than it was for me because yeah i didn't know any different for, for me it's hard to talk about culture because up to a certain point i didn't know any different yeah i don't know how like my cousins grew up in it like grew up in australia yeah i don't like i only know how me and my sisters grew up here and how french people grew up here and, and I, that's the world you know. And that's the world, the world I know. Yeah. And I, I guess that's what defines what my culture is, yeah. is, is the fact that I'm either a foreigner everywhere or I'm at home everywhere. Yeah. Like, I always say this, like, to people when they, like, when they ask me, oh, do you feel more French or do you feel more Australian or do you prefer Sydney or do you, do you prefer Paris? I always say that I feel Australian in France and French in Australia. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. So you don't feel like you're French, even though you've been here most of your life. Like people, don't I don't feel you. like I'm anything. Like yeah, 
But like, I mean, your French sounds like a French person and you've lived here for a long time. You have a job in Paris. Like, do people just assume that you are French? So this is terribly racial. Sure. The fact that I'm white yeah. and that I don't speak with an accent, they think I'm French. Yeah, totally. They will be surprised when I tell them that I'm Australian because they will not have picked up on my accent. Even though there's a still a slight accent on certain words, mm-hmm. my French is good enough for them to not notice and for them to think it's just a regional accent. Since I come from a different region than Paris, yeah. my accent is yeah. automatically different from what Parisians are used to. And so they think it's just a, another French accent that they haven't heard right. yet. But as soon as I tell them, that's when they're surprised and that's when they're like, we don't believe you, et cetera, et cetera. I will be different to my colleagues or to my friends no matter where I am in the world. Just because I've grown up with multiple cultures, I've grown up having grandparents who have lived a certain amount of years in Belgium. So I've been able to, to like, I've lived in Belgium for like six months of my life. Mm-hmm. I've learned to live in countries where English is not the, their main language. I've learned to understand when I don't understand. I've learned to, to figure out how to get around when I don't speak the language. Yeah. So all that is not a, is not, it doesn't hassle me. And so, no matter where I go, I'll feel comfortable because I've, yeah. I've grown up knowing. knowing and being used to feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, No, totally. I've grown up feeling used to not understanding language, to <laughs> not getting certain jokes or not getting certain cultural references. I was in, like, the Catholic Scouts. Okay. And so my friends in Catholic Scouts were very traditional Catholics <laughs> in so, France. That's in this? France. Okay. Yeah. So they had huge families where they would be like nine siblings. <laughs> and so they would grow up like my friends would grow up learning from the mistakes of their older brothers who would be like twice their age. Yeah. They would grow up learning film references that you wouldn't right. like when you, that you wouldn't watch in like, I don't know, 2012, like they, yeah. would, learn, they, they would have grown up watching those movies with, with their brothers. And so they would have references that I wouldn't know because I didn't grow up with yeah. them. I, like very French movies. Yeah. Like OSSS sets, like that's a French like comedy <laughs> movie. And I didn't grow up with those references. And so it sounds horrible, but you'd learn to remember those references and until yeah. you had the chance to watch the movie, et cetera, et cetera. But you'd learn to fit into those social situations. So it's like you're playing catch up almost. With, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've spent my entire life where people would talk about a reference at t- uh, like uh, during a dinner and I would go home and look it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. So I have a couple of questions off of that. I think it's interesting because... I consider you someone who often references things, but I feel like maybe that's more so in the creative circuit. Like you're, you're referencing creative references and things that kind of connect that world. And I find that really interesting because that in itself is almost an international culture that maybe you can consider yourself a part of in your creative circuit. Because, you know, when someone like Matt comes to Paris and is studying things around that culture, or, you know, if I'm working at an agency now and, you know, Matthias and all these and the Hillsong movement that you're a part of, like all of those things, those references are things you can talk about. And it's irregardless of what country you're from. Do you feel like you find an affinity with those things a little bit easier? I feel like I'm lucky. I've been lucky in my job as an art director to have more references than my fellow colleagues because I'm interested in different cultures and because I've grown up 
learning about multiple cultures all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I'll have the French references of French artists or French music videos or French ads, but I'll also have the references of of either Aussie movies, which are horrible, or I'll have the Anglo-Saxon references that maybe some of my French friends don't have just because I've been able to speak English and being Australian. Like I lived in America for like three months and I've had friends that are American or that are English or that every time that like we hang out, I'll learn about their culture or yeah. I'll learn about their references as a, yeah. like as a creative. And so it just gives me an advantage, I guess. Totally. To not advantage now, but it was an advantage when I started off because I had yeah. a lot of references that no one else had. Yeah. And that was a huge advantage for me in my industry. I think because you've trained yourself to be so adaptable your whole life that in the creative realm, it's so easily transferable. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And when I first became an art director and when I first started working for the company I actually work for now, I was at a huge advantage because I had a lot of references that most of the young art directors in the company didn't have. Right. And so straight away, I I created an element of surprise and I was able to bring forward an edginess in my work that my bosses or the my, my fellow art directors hadn't seen before because they had never seen the references that I was putting into my work or that I was referencing to clients. And that was a huge advantage to me. And I'm so thankful for the people that I know around the world that are like extremely talented. Yeah. You mentioned that here in France, you'll always feel more Australian and in Australia, you'll feel more French, even though in France, people don't necessarily recognize right away that you are foreign in that way. When you went to school to study in Australia, what aspects of your Frenchness came out and how did that make you feel? I can't say that it's aspects of my Frenchness that came out. <laughs> I've always been different. I've always been the weirdo in the classroom. Like, I've always... And you're not even a French citizen, so... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, that I've never shied away from being different. That is something important about me. Like, I value being different. The part that sucks about growing up as a foreigner in a country yeah. that doesn't speak the same language as you is that people tease you. Yeah. Like, I grew up in class, people would tease me. Like, I grew up in, in class, like, when it was your turn to read, like, yeah. from the book, I would go bright, tomato red, and even the teacher would start laughing. That was pretty much my whole education in France, is that I got to a certain point where I would talk to make the least mistakes possible. Right. I don't know if you're like, yeah. it's weird. I, I'm a shy guy. Like, I, I'm shy. Yeah. And so that added on to that. Yeah. But... When you're a foreigner, you don't want to make mistakes. Even though me taking the position of a French person, they don't care about it. Yeah. They don't care about it. Like they, they know that you're you're not from this country, so they don't care about you making mistakes. They appreciate you trying, though, because I'm sorry to say this, but that's what they hate about foreigners coming to the country and then just assuming that the people yeah. speak English. When people come into a when, into a coffee shop and they just like they don't even try to say like hello in French like. They'll just directly go into, like, I understand that. Hi. Exactly. (laughs) Like that little pause, like. (laughs) Um, Making sure that the person in front of them knows that they don't speak French. Yeah. Not in a condescending way, but more in a, I mean, Paris, shouldn't you you be multilingual? Like, shouldn't you be able to speak to me in English too? Like. But it's like if a Parisian went to New York you wouldn't have the same assumption. Like a Parisian wouldn't be able to speak French in New York and the person in New York would be offended. But it would make more sense for them than it yep. would here, yep. which is unfair. But mm. I always say that to people when I'm talking about France, actually. I'm like, 
yes, a lot of people speak English, but like you should learn how to say hello, how are you, and order yeah. something. Like, yeah, it's just respectful, no matter what country. Exactly. You're in. Yeah. Yeah. If I was to go to a Spanish, like a, a Spanish speaking country, yeah. I know personally, I would feel embarrassed if I went there without at least learning how to say hello. Yeah. Or at least learning how to say, may I, or can I, or thank you, or please. Just like the basis of fundamental human conversation. Yeah. I would feel embarrassed not being able to speak the basics. And even if it made them laugh, at least would have that connection. Yeah. And it'd be, it'd be endearing almost. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's but, interesting. There were 200 inhabitants in the village I grew up Whoa. with for the most, like, for the biggest part of my youth. And three quarters of those people were over 80 and had never left the village. Like, why did you, why did your parents move to that village specifically? Because it was close to my mom's work. Oh, wow. She works for Kutirak. Yeah. Kutirak means next to the lake. And so, oh. like, I grew up in the French society, like, deep into it and so it was a bubble like my family created a bubble around them where of course we interacted with the fr- uh, with the people next to us and in the village like you get to know everyone in the village when there's only 200 people in the village mm. and you, you play with like the 16 children that there are in the village yeah. like I would just like every grade had two students so the whole school was like max 20 people wow that was only for one year of my like of my school before yeah. I moved into a diff- bigger school. But my, I think my parents did a very good job in teaching us their culture as well. Mm. It might have not been the Australian culture, but it was my parents' culture. Yeah, I grew up learning the language from my parents, so yeah. I only got their vocabulary. Like they didn't speak slang, so I don't speak sl- slang. Yeah, in in, in Australia. English. Yeah, I don't have English slang. So fast forwarding a little bit to now, because. Yeah. Today you live in Paris and you work in Paris at an agency, kind of doing the creative thing to a certain extent. So yeah, I guess after being in the French village, doing some schooling in Australia, growing up in France, now that you're in Paris, which a lot of people associate as France, (laughs) how would you describe the culture of Paris and the people of Paris from your perspective? How would you describe this city? This is a secret, but... I generally find out about the beauty of Paris when foreigners come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What was your perspective of Paris before when you were growing up? Like, did you have a bad idea of what Paris was like? Paris was huge to me growing up. Like, not in my life, but as an image. Like, Mm -hmm. you always learn that, like, Paris is the biggest city in France. It's huge. Like, it's one of the main cultural spots in the world. It's very important in fashion, in art. Like... You learn about that in school and growing up in smaller villages and in smaller areas, you tend to look up to such a city. And especially like when we would visit as a family, it seemed huge and it seemed um, never ending and it seemed like the biggest city in the world. Like we went to London and we went to other like major cities, but Paris is, is so concentrated that when you're in it and when you don't know the extremities, you th- feel like it's huge. Yeah. It's actually extremely small. Yeah. When you get to know it, it takes half an hour to get from one spot to the next, like from one end to the end, from one end to the end, from one end to, the, <laughs> to, to another. To another. Yeah. <laughs> My English is very bad because I grew up in France. You'll have to excuse me. As I said, I am not Australian and I'm not French. So I'm a, I'm a weird mix of both and I'm not yeah. fluent either in English, neither in French. 
what I've always told people and what I've always found fascinating about myself, which is weird to say, but I don't know what language I dream in. Oh, interesting. And I don't know what language I think in either. What? Crazy. Because you're if, not if thinking I'm, about if it. I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. If I'm thinking about how to say something in a specific language, of course I'll, I'll think in that language. Yeah. But if I'm just thinking out of the blue or I'm not thinking or if I'm dreaming, I do not know what language my... Your brain is in. <laughs> yeah, my brain. Like, I, I don't know what language... Yeah. That's so crazy. My, my neurons communicate between each other. Coming back to Paris, I've had the misfortune of living in most of Paris, so I, I know each quartier very well. Not very well, but I've experienced every quartier differently. Mm-hmm. You can't say that Paris has its own culture. As a French person, Paris has its own, it has its own culture. Very much so. Like In my industry, Paris has its very own specific way of showing it but if you're a foreigner or if you're just someone from france coming to paris even though it's not the most polite way of treating french people like you can still speak english like that's the thing like or you can speak other languages and it's such a diverse melting pot in france that it doesn't have a specific culture of course right just like every big city like you never know what like every spot of town has its own culture of course like i'm not saying that paris is special in that way i'm just saying that unless you're experiencing paris through the eyes of a french bourgeois you're seeing the real paris you're just not experiencing the traditional sense of what you think french being french is yes yes not everyone will get a croissant in the morning not everyone will buy a baguette like even as a french person not everyone will do what is what is French? What is French? Like, what is <laughs> yeah. generally known as French? Yeah. Like, uh, not many people, the French stereotype. Fortunately for me, the people that I work with are stereotypically French and stereotypically French bourgeois. So, like, you've got the fancy foods, you've got the fancy drinks, like, you've got that culture that exists that is normal in France. And, of course, you'll have, like... You have your assiette de, de fromage, you have your assiette de charcuterie. That comes into the culture of Paris, but there are different cultures that are integrated into the weaves of what Parisian means. Mm. It's so simple and so dumb to say, but like... No, totally. You're in a huge city, like, you don't have one culture. Yeah. And you'll never feel like there's one culture. Yeah. You'll see aspects aspects of the city that you aren't used to. But first of all, you can't define that as being French and you can't define that as being a particular way of of how French people act. Yeah. Paris itself has its own culture and and you might think that people are rude and all that stuff, but for French people, they aren't rude. And for French people, like, that's how they act and that's how you are. Like, fast-paced city, like, if you're slow walking, you'll be, like, you'll be pushed to the side. Like, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's, you're (laughs) you're in a big city, every big city resembles each other in a certain way where there are so many cultures melted and and intertwined together that you don't really have a sense of what is the culture of the city. All the people that make up France and Paris are so diverse and I went to Montpellier for a week when I was here too, and the hosts that I was staying with were saying like, oh, like, we do not consider people from Paris French. Like, we're the real French people. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's what I 
experience day to day. Like, yeah, yes, of course, culture is very, I feel like is very subjective for me. I can't define it as culture because I don't know. I've lived like, and that word is probably hard for you anyway, because you've grown up such in such a unique way. And I wouldn't know what is normal and what isn't. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to define the Parisian culture where I live right now compared to what a real French culture is. Yeah. Because you'll have, you'll like every generation has its own culture. Every family has its own culture. Every religion has its own culture. Everything yeah. has its own culture. Yeah. And you can't define what is French culture. You can't define what a Parisian culture is compared to what well, your your host in Montpellier said that was a real French culture. Right, like, right. That's true. You can't. Now that you've been in Paris for a little bit and you have a better sense of what the city is, even geographically, do you feel like you have more of an affinity for the city? Like, do you care about Paris? Do you care about the people here? Or are you excited to move on? Is it kind of blasé to you? Like, what's your... Oh, no. I will never be blasé from Paris or from France, like, or from the world. Like, come on, the, the world we live in is incredibly beautiful. Like, but I moved from Sydney because I felt a lack of depth in the culture. I would never have defined it like that at that time. But the lack of history in the architecture really reduced my creative juices. Wow. Especially that I was like... I would come back to, to France every every Christmas and I would spend it was around that time where I would spend more time in Paris and I felt like even the people that I was surrounding myself in in Paris and the fact that it's such an incredibly beautiful and complex maze I felt so much creativity yeah, in Paris compared totally. to Sydney it's, it's not against Sydney it's not against people who live in Sydney it's not against Australians and yeah. that's one of the main reasons why I moved back to France is that I felt more creative here. Like, even if it wasn't in Paris specifically, I felt more creative in Europe. Just because you, you walking down stairs where you've got no idea who walked down these stairs. Like, you don't know who walked in your steps. <laughs> yeah. Like, can, like That's you crazy. can visit Versailles and you're walking where kings walked. Yeah. Like, you can go into the room where they slept. Yeah. For me, it's it's mind like <laughs> it is. It's pretty incredible. It, like, it, how can something like that not blow your mind and mm-hmm. not make you think about things in a different way and not make you creative? Yeah. And even in such a global way, because like, there's so much history that involves the whole world in a place like Paris. Like, you're almost you're weaving part of its history now, and it will always have. I would not say that, but <laughs> well, I just mean being a part of the city in general. You're part of the city's history, and that's yeah. that's a worldly history, because it's been, it will always have the reputation it has on a global level. And like, I feel like I'm lucky to have been like for my parents to have moved to France, for me to have it, be able to experience Paris in a different way, and being in the industry I work in, like I live in the fashion capital of the world. Like, who would have thought that? Like, I'm an Australian kid living and working in the fashion capital of the world. Yeah. How many people dream of that? Totally. How lucky am I to have lived the, even the hardships and and the pains of 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 living in a different culture than your own families? Like, I will never regret coming back here. I never asked for it. Yeah. I don't think I would have asked for it. Right. But I am where I am now, and I am who I am now, 
And even though I might not have a culture that defines me, I still learnt from both cultures and I've still learnt from the cultures of my friends and I've still been yeah. able to to emerge myself in these different cultures yeah. that have created who I am. And yeah. I'm in France. Like, all the American movies, <laughs> all, their, all their, like, teenage movies, like, they all dream of going to France for, yeah. like, their summer break or, or, like, their gap year. Yeah. I live in Paris. Yeah, totally. Like... Everyone in the world wants to have their honeymoon in Paris. I live in Paris. Like, every day I walk to work on the same path that, like, this couple who have just gotten gotten married walk on with these... Have wide, dreamt of their whole life. They've dreamt of this moment for their entire life. Yeah. And that road seems so normal for me. <laughs> like, And that's why, that's why I say I discover Paris when people come here because... Either I discover new parts, or I discover new shops, or I discover new cafes, or I discover a different way of seeing the city through their eyes. Yeah. Just because they don't experience that every day, and they might not see what I see as normal. Right. And so even though, even though I'm lucky to to work in the, in the first arrondissement in Paris, or or like have like have an office in the second, or like to live in such a a, a central part of the Parisian life. I still am lucky to... Yeah, you feel that connection yeah. in a special way. That's really cool. Paris will always remain Paris. It's a shame when buildings such as, like, the Tour Montparnasse stand up against the skyline. Yeah. Especially, like, when you're when you're crossing bridges and you look across and you, like, you see the Eiffel Tower to one side and you look across and you're, like... Yeah. It's got this ugly, disgusting building, <laughs> like, looking at you, like, and just drawing a photo, like... You, like... And, of course, I can't do anything about it. It's just a wish, like, a romantic <laughs> wish, like... You want Paris to say the same. Like, yeah. Even French people want Paris to say the same. Yeah. They're so like you're so set in your ways when you live in Paris. It's such a beautiful city. Yeah. It'd be a shame to let to see it be transformed into something less romantic. There's so much history in every cornerstone of every building that you that you walk by. Mm-hmm. That why wouldn't you want it to stay like that to preserve it? Yeah. Kind of bringing it back to you. Now that you're in Paris, and I know we talked about this a little bit privately, but do you think that being in this city, is this a place where you hope that your work will be recognized and that consists of some of the audience that you want your work to have exposure for being a creative? And I guess given that Paris is such a capital for art and design. I'll just say that my dream audience is the crowd that is here during Fashion Weeks. I'm lucky enough to be able to participate in most of the fashion weeks, either it being through friends or work. Because Paris is such a essential part of, of fashion and luxury living, I'm able to, to meet and talk to and to encounter the most incredible like minds that this world has. Like, yeah. Who in their like, wildest dreams could say that they've met Peter Saville. Hmm. Like, Peter Saville, I don't know if, like, you guys know, but he's, like, the guy who designed... He's kind of the guy that you learn about in school, and, like, I was able to, to say hello to him, or... Oh, Joy Division, the yeah. mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, who who's able, to, like, to say that they've, like, met or, or, like, sat next to, like, Virgil Abloh or, like, crazy people who you would never think yeah. of ever meeting or ever hanging out with or thanks to the people that I know in Paris and thanks to Paris, I've been able to be in these amazing merging 
points, either it be events or just the fact that I'm in a certain location at a specific time. Like, my dream audience is is connected to Paris just for the simple reason that it is the centre of the industry I work in, or one of the centres. And so I'm lucky enough to find myself in crowds of people that I could have only dreamt of being next to or in or a part of. I can only say that I hope my art is recognised here, but if I'm honest, I don't think it will be. But there's nothing opposing me being recognised elsewhere first and then coming back and being recognised right, in Paris. Right, That makes sense. Because for now, I feel like that would be a... A more likely situation. A more likely situation, yeah. exactly. Not an easier situation, but a more likely situation. Yeah. Well, you're definitely going to be famous after this podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's great, Daniel. Okay, so tell us about what's next for you. Like, where will we see you? How can we find you? What are you working on? <laughs> if you can give us some um, I, I don't know. I work all the time. Yeah. Right? There's always stuff. I, I'm going to leave this conversation and go to and work. Like, yeah. There's always going to be something that I'm going to be doing. I might not always share it personally, but I'll always be working on something in some means or another. And you have, um, I guess people can follow you on Instagram. Um, yeah. His Instagram, you, you got claimed your name, which is very good. Exactly. People can't confuse you with yeah. the, what is it? What does he do? Oh, the tennis, tennis, the tennis man. <laughs> Daniel Micah Cox on Instagram. Exactly. Cool. Well, Daniel, all the best. Thank you Thank so much you. for sitting down with me. This was really, really fascinating. Very long and very boring. No, super interesting. I think... Yeah, this has given me a lot. Hopefully you like you guys enjoy it and you might have not learned anything but <laughs> at least you've been able to enter what I Absolutely. see Paris as and what I see like my culture. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with my friend Daniel. Part two of this look at the world of Paris. If you missed part one, you'll want to check out Anissa talking about her experience in Paris as an adopted Algerian in the city. These two have lived through what a lot of us have, but maybe haven't spoken about. So I'm curious, what thoughts did these episodes, Paris part one and part two, provoke for you? Send me your thoughts and share the episode on Twitter or Instagram at Josiah Podcast. This week, I want to give a shout out to the studio that made this season possible, We Edit Podcasts. All of my Calgary episodes were recorded in studio here at their space in Inglewood. If you're wanting to start a podcast, I definitely recommend checking these guys out. Amazing spaces, great quality, and super fast editing time, which seriously would have made this season not possible otherwise. You can check them out at weeditpodcast.com. Also, a shout out to my creative team, Arcade Studios, who brought together my vision of branding and imagery for this amazing season. It all comes together on my website, josiahpodcast.com, but you can also check them out at arcadearcade.ca. Next week, we're ending the season with another special feature I do not want you to miss, looking at the music industry and three artists that have made their mark through their art. As we approach the end of the season, please consider leaving me a review on wherever you get your podcasts and reach out. I would love to hear from you and see your thoughts on my show so far. I really hope to continue this discussion as we keep moving towards these types of conversations. And it is my honor to bring you along. I'll see you next week on Anticulture. culture